0: the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas. We thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey, good day, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad to have you with me today. And coming up on today's program, a couple of conversations I had recently with the leaders of the two largest energy providers here in Michigan, of course, DTE Energy and CMS slash Consumers. So conversations with Jerry Anderson, CEO at DTE Energy, followed by a conversation with Patty Poppy of CMS Consumers. She, of course, was the chair of this year's Mackinac Policy Conference as well. So what is going on with alternative energy production in the state? Is the debate over climate change in Washington something that is impacting our local utility companies as they try to wean themselves off of coal? Conversations with both of them coming up on The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. You'll want to hear this. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Very glad to have you with me. I'm joined right now by DTE Energy Chairman and CEO Jerry Anderson. Pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, this is a business conference, but it's also a political conference as well. Uh, Debbie Dingell is going to be joining me a little bit later on. She's been making a lot of noise about the House, sort of passing legislation to force the United States to stay in the Paris Climate Accords. And I wanted to ask, from your perspective, as the CEO of an energy company, How much of the politics around climate change and these accords impacting the decisions that you make right now, or do you not have an opportunity to wait for the politics to sort themselves out?
1: You know, we aren't waiting for the politics to sort themselves out. We're moving, and we're moving far faster than I think anybody could have anticipated three, four years ago. I spent a lot of time uh, helping to shape the Clean Power Plan. That Clean Power Plan was set aside, but I'm going to tell you something. We will be blowing away the goals that would have been Included in the Clean Power Plan.
0: So, so what has made that possible? Is it simply that the technology is advancing faster than we thought, or the costs are are, are better than we expected them to be? What's what's accelerating it?
1: We have available to us renewable energy that continues to advance and uh, evolves. So, the the cost of it continues to decline. We got abundant natural gas, which is cheap. Uh, natural gas is seventy percent lower in carbon than coal. So. When we bring on a natural gas plant, you get a big reduction in carbon and, of course, renewable zero. But the the bottom line is the economics of these now make them really good choices for us to replace our old infrastructure with. And they were a lot more expensive five or ten years ago. So uh, that pure economic evolution has made our decisions, um, I'd say, easier, but they're great outcomes environmentally.
0: Well, it, it's a huge thing, but, I mean, coal still dominates a lot of the discussion on politics around this. I mean, you know, it's it's old technology, and, and there's discussion about clean coal and wanting to preserve jobs in states like Ohio and West Virginia and Kentucky where this is stuff is done, but the utility companies don't seem to be thinking that this is going to be the way forward. and it, it, They're all moving in this direction, aren't
1: yeah, they? Yeah, that is absolutely true. So, look, coal was the... Backbone of energy supply in this country for half a century. Back in the Carter era, there was a big push for people to build coal plants so that we could get off of oil and uh, free ourselves from the Arab oil embargo. So that was policy that that pushed coal back in those days. But clearly now our plants are old, uh, and the nobody is investing in new coal plants. Uh, the the really relevant choices right now are renewables and natural gas. And that's what we're building, but. You know, in the intervening time, the issue of climate change and global warming has uh, become clear. I believe it's an absolutely vital issue. Uh, We as an energy company have a responsibility to address it fundamentally. And I'm just glad that we got the tools to do it now. And so we're going to go fast.
0: Well, you know, the the original goals for a lot of people who are environmentalists would suggest the original goals for weaning ourselves off of coal and, and getting to a certain percentage of renewables by a certain year. We're too weak, but as you said, they've been accelerated. Uh, You guys are going to be coal-free. How soon? So
1: here's the plan we've laid out. Our carbon, the the year everybody measures from is 2005. We'll be down a third by the early 2020s. We'll be down 50% uh, in our carbon emissions by 2030 and down 80% by 2040 and just continue down after that. And as we do that, all of our coal will be phased out and will be replaced with a heavy investment in renewables. And enough natural gas to keep our production reliable.
0: Well, renewables, in, in terms of the footprint, the property footprint you need for renewables, especially we are talking wind farms and things like that, is DTE positioned well in terms of having the available space that you're going to need to generate power in, in, in this way?
1: You know, the vast majority of what we've done to date in Michigan has been wind mm-hmm. because the economics of wind have been far better than solar. Uh, and... We, uh, in the early years, it uh, was easy to site wind farms. Uh, but over time, it's, it has become more stubborn. We're still doing it. We have uh, communities that are anxious to have us in, but we have others who, who don't want it now. And so the good news is that uh, solar has continued to evolve, and it continues to progress. And it's going to be on par, I think, with, with wind mm, three, four years down the road. And we'll be able to begin to shift uh, to more and more addition of solar.
0: Well, I, I've seen some of the uh, installations, the solar installations that DTE has put in place. Um, and, and What has been the issue there in terms of the economics? Is it that the technology is not advancing as quickly as, as the wind technology, or is Michigan, frankly, just not that sunny? <laughs>
1: uh, Michigan is, uh, like <laughs> they, they talk about this He's in terms of... today, so... You know, yeah, we get a lot of these days. Uh, Michigan's solar incidence, they call it, um, is not... One of the highest in the country. I mean, they go to a place that, I was out with my board in Phoenix looking at some of the massive solar installations in the desert there. Yeah. They get sunshine every day of the year in that place. So uh, we, we just aren't that way. On the other hand, um, technology providers continue to evolve the technology in a way that even in Michigan it will be a viable resource. We're simply waiting for that evolution that cost curve to play out in order to make it a, the right investment here in Michigan and it's not that far away.
0: You know, DTE was I think one of the earlier companies to really sort of adopt these strategies for for going carbon, you know, reducing your carbon footprint as much as possible. Uh, it seems as other utilities were dragging their feet a little bit, but they seem to be on board now across the board. I mean what are you hearing when you're at industry conferences talking to your fellow CEOs about their plans? Is this something that everybody is doing at this point?
1: I have seen a big flip in the last couple of years. So you're right. In 2017, when uh, President Trump was out talking about uh, the revival of coal and exiting the Paris Agreement, I was just inundated with questions about whether things were going to go backwards environmentally. So we decided to step out and sort of declare our future. And in 2017, came out for the first time with this 80 percent carbon reduction which we've since accelerated. Um, and I can tell you that I had CEOs call me or talk to me at conferences saying, uh, we saw what you guys did, we're looking at it. And what I've seen since is one company after another adopting something that looks a lot like what we did. And so at this point, 90% of the electricity production in the country has a forward commitment on, on carbon of some point. And every day you see new announcements of coal plant retirements and and people who are adding additional renewables. So I really feel like our sector, if you go back five years, was sort of dragging its feet, but it has changed radically and it's I say like a stone rolling downhill. It's just gaining ahead of steam.
0: Now, at the same time, massive infrastructure investment then that you're gonna to have to make in terms of making sure the supply gets to the customers that you have. Uh, we are having lots of debates over how to transport energy in this state. The Enbridge uh, you know, Line 5 discussion, the protesters are out in force as we got off, uh, you know, got on the ferry this time around. A lot of discussion that I'm going to be talking to the Attorney General about in a little bit as well. Uh, what do people need to know about the way that we're transporting energy at this point in time in, in terms of pipelines, viability? What do, we, what do people need to know about this?
1: I'd say a couple things. Uh, You're right. We're investing a lot in electric transmission and distribution because as the economy electrifies, I mean, ultimately, as we take our vehicles to electricity, and I think over time, industry, heavy industry will will electrify as well, having an electric transmission infrastructure that's really strong and advanced is going to be important for us and important for the country. Um, but, of course, there is, a, there is a network of natural gas and oil pipelines. I think natural gas in this country was a gift as a transition fuel. It's very low carbon. It's high reliability. It, it allows us to make sharp reductions in carbon while we continue to advance other technologies. I think long term its role will probably decline some too. Uh, but in the near term, it's, it's a great affordable resource for us to help accelerate this transition. Our co- our company uh, isn't a user of oil, so you know the oil pipeline discussion really uh, doesn't bear on sure. us. Uh, but you know, I I think uh, the governor and others need to figure out a way that uh, that ensures that 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 pipeline environmentally is exactly where it should be. But the truth of the matter is, for some period of time, our transportation sector is going to be in a transition off of oil onto electricity. And that's going to take decades. And so, you know, we're going to use oil for some period of time.
0: Uh, You know, obviously we're in a transitory phase for just about every industry here in the state of Michigan. You guys are changing. We're looking at the mobility changes as well. And when you look at what the electrical infrastructure is going to need to be as we move into an era of electrified vehicles, autonomous vehicles, what kind of upgrades do we need to make to ensure that, frankly, we have the power we're going to need in in that era? Because that's going to be a huge change.
1: Yeah, we've studied this very, very carefully, as you might uh, expect. And, uh, you know, the question I get often is, you know, the auto sector is a big demand. Can you guys support that? The answer to that is yes, we absolutely can. We can we'll have enough supply from uh, wind, solar, and uh, natural gas to, to meet the need. Our grid will need some upgrades, but uh, we can handle it. Uh, so we, we are, I won't say 100 percent ready, but we're not going to be the impediment I think the critical thing in the transportation sector is the evolution of the battery technology. And I often say that batteries feel like renewable energy did a decade ago, where we all knew that renewable energy had a big, big role to play in the future. But it was expensive, and it was hard to push a lot of it into our mix without spiking customer bills. That's not true today. In the auto sector, you know, what I hear from the senior executives is they all know electric vehicles are the future. But it's difficult to get the range and the affordability they want with where batteries are right now. And But it's coming fast. Those battery prices are coming down hard.
0: In the meantime, the charging infrastructure uh, for people that, you know, maybe range anxiety is a big issue with electric yep. vehicles, obviously. And we're starting to see more and more charging stations showing up places where people work and things along those lines. But how does DTE Energy potentially get in on that in some capacity? I mean, do you become sort of the new gas station, so to speak?
1: Well, we just reached our... Uh, First significant agreement with the Public Service Commission on charging infrastructure where we will be uh, doing exactly what you're talking about. We've sat down with them and and, uh, identified the places that will be in highest demand and most need uh, highest volumes of electric vehicles. We're going to begin the investment process to to enable uh, that. So we don't want to be the impediment. On the other hand, we don't want to be too far out ahead of it and put in a lot of infrastructure that isn't used either. So we're, we're in very active discussions to make sure we get it right. But I'll tell you what, uh, this first step we've taken is going to be followed by many more uh, to enable the electric vehicles.
0: Well, and the interesting thing about that is, though, I mean, utilities typically have been very heavily regulated, obviously, uh, and, and monopolistic for a lot of different reasons. You don't have a ton of competition, you know, for this kind of stuff. Is there going to be a private sector option when we do start seeing charging infrastructure? I mean, is it a situation where Shell or Amoco or somebody like that could have could. charging stations?
1: Yeah, we've really told people that uh, we're happy to invest in the charging stations if that's the right solution. But if it's done by a third party, that's okay with us. We're gonna, we'll still need to invest they're, they're in the buy from wires, anyway. <laughs> cables, transformers, and everything else that yeah. these chargers will need. And that's an important role. And so, look, we just want to, uh, we just want to enable it. Uh, and play whatever role makes most sense
0: well jerry anderson my guest right now of course ceo at dte energy one last question for you and i appreciate your time today but you know one thing we have seen in your industry is a lot of consolidation uh you've got some major major companies that have taken over operations in multiple states now i think duke energy in particular has seen a lot of growth um, moving from north carolina all the way up to ohio and other places is this something where we're going to see some really big regional utilities is there going to be more consolidation in the industry or do, do state regulations make that difficult?
1: Well, a couple thoughts. So you're right. Over time, we have seen a significant consolidation in our industry, and the average size of companies increasing. Um, on the other hand, I'll tell you that if you look at how companies are performing in our industry, financially and otherwise, tends to be inversely related to size. So some <laughs> of these really big and more complex companies are struggling. And so... At DTE, we're open to the idea that the that, uh, combination with another company might be the right thing for our state, for our customers, because it can bring some efficiency. We also are going to be careful to make sure if we ever do it, it's the right one and, and really works not only for us, but for our uh, customer base. And, so, uh, you know, I likely one at some point in our future, but it's, it's actually not front and center for us. We've got a lot of in this energy transformation and our grid upgrades to focus on and grow with. One of the other things about DTE Energy is about a third of our company now is outside of our utilities uh, across the country in about 25 or 30 states where we're investing in other energy businesses. So we have opportunities to grow the scale of our company apart from buying another utility.
0: Well, yeah I, I lied I had one last question because I do want to ask about your investment in the city of Detroit uh, you know the campus has changed dramatically over the last 10 years or so uh, the park went in last year it's, it's fantastic looks great downtown that section of downtown was pretty barren for a long time you guys have stepped up and, and really changed the look down there what did that mean for you guys to be able to do something like that
1: you know uh, there was a there was a point back in 2012 or so where for the first time i've been i've been in in detroit for a lot of years for the first time i could begin to feel that this was going to turn that the the energy and the will of people in the city had flipped and and we were going to see good things and when I, uh, I looked at our surroundings um they weren't the surroundings that a fortune 250 company should have in a great city and so we ne- we knew we needed to do our part. And so we went to work on our campus and really upgraded our campus. The park was an interesting evolution. I used to stare out my office window down at a gravel site with a little industrial building and barbed wire around it. I, I, I remember it well. Yeah, for a lot of years. And uh, there was a certain point where I said, you know, this is kind of shameful. Uh, for I, I travel to a lot of other cities and see beautiful company headquarters that are really an amenity to the to the communities they're part of shit that just, it just didn't make sense we bought the land and thought we'd just plant some grass and then we decided no we're not going to just plant some grass we'll put some benches and so forth out there and then i was traveling to see investors in boston and walked into a park between meetings in the middle of the city that was vital and vibrant and absolutely beautiful and i started snapping pictures on my cell phone and sending them back to our team and said we want to do something for Detroit. We should do this, and that was the uh, that was sort of the kernel that led to Beacon Park. Beacon Park has attracted over a million visitors, and, and look, we're not in the park business, uh, but this was a chance for us to create something for the community that's lasting. And thankfully, uh, it's been really, really well received, and and uh, has become what we hoped it would.
0: Well, very good, Jerry Anderson. We appreciate your time, sir. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, Jerry Anderson, CEO at DTE Energy, joining us here on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. You are knowledgeable. Good Thanks. job. I yeah. try. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. We are live at the Mackinac Policy Conference, hosted by, of course, the Detroit Regional Chamber. And joining me right now is this year's conference chair, Patty Poppy, who also happens to be president and CEO of CMS Energy and Consumers Energy. Uh, Thank you very much for being here. You are the busiest person on the island officially this week.
2: It's my pleasure. I think there's one other woman who might be busier than me, and that might be our governor. She's got a busy schedule, too. (laughs) Well,
0: she made some big news. Uh, She sure did. And you always want news to come out of the conference. Uh, She signed, of course, a pretty historic deal on auto insurance out there. And and I always like to look at legislation and suggest if, if somebody's ticked off about some part of it and everybody's a little bit ticked off mm-hmm. about part of it, it's probably
2: a pretty yeah. good bill. Yeah. She, uh, I think, and the leaders of the House and Senate demonstrated that in Michigan, we can actually be united even though we have divided government. And when the rest of the world is just getting further apart from one another here in Michigan, We can come together, get the best ideas on the table, in fact, not in spite of our diversity, but because of it, come up with better solutions. And they demonstrated it today, historic signing here on the porch. Well,
0: you know, civility has been a big part of this conference for a long time, trying to figure out a way to, to, you know, mend some of these fractured relationships that have been out there.
2: It seems like a pretty good start. It's a great start. It really has left a feeling of optimism across the whole conference. People actually can see that as a reason to believe that Bipartisan action is possible. We've got some tough issues to tackle next. Roads, education. We're going to have a lot of conversation about education here today at the conference. I can't wait for people to hear the lineup of what we're going to talk about today. Well,
0: you know, this has been a subject that has been brought up at this conference for, what, the last five years, Mm -hmm. I believe? Education has been a key part of this thing. How do we fix this? There seems to be a logjam here. What sort of progress are you seeing in terms of what people are talking about that gives you hope that maybe, maybe we are turning the corner on this?
2: Well... We have three objectives for this year's conference on education. Number one, we want people to know there is a problem. I think it actually is one of the problems. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm so sorry about their district. My district's doing great. When, in fact, when you look at the statewide statistics, we're 41st in fourth grade reading, Mm -hmm. 42nd in fourth grade math. That's a problem. 41st and 42nd out of 50. I think if you polled people, people would not know that. And so they need to understand that it's a statewide problem. Even our best districts are performing worse than other, district, other states' worst districts. So we've got some major catching up to do. So that's number one. Yeah. People need to know. But number two, there's a group that's come together called Launch Michigan. And this is what makes me hopeful. In this era of bipartisan required reform, we've got the teachers' union, Paula Herbar of the MEA is one of the co-chairs. Tanya Allen from the philanthropic community, Mm -hmm. she's the the, the CEO of the Skillman Foundation. And uh, Doug Rothwell from Business Leaders for Michigan are the co-chairs of Launch Michigan. The Detroit Regional Chamber is a member. There's other educators who are members. This group is doing the tough, heavy lifting of establishing priorities, metrics, and policy recommendations. And they're staying at the table long enough to hash it out. That is very important. That can enable, then, a legislature to take action knowing they've got bipartisan support coming to them, bringing bipartisan solutions to them. That's important.
0: My um, guest, once again, is Patty Poppy, who is the chair of this year's conference. I, you know, yeah. I wonder—is it a blessing or a curse? I mean, obviously, it's an <laughs> honor to do this kind of thing, but you have been busy, uh, and, and you know, there's all kinds of stuff that you are responsible for when you do this. You're about to hand this over to somebody else pretty yeah. soon. But what's the experience been like for you?
2: You know, it's been fun. I'm a Michigander, and when uh, my company, Consumers Energy, can be a force for good, that's a good day for me. And so, to be able to convene all of the right people at a place like this, doing the work that will serve a lasting impact in fact i used a a saying an old proverb yesterday that one generation plants the trees and the next enjoys the shade my ambition for this conference this year is that we plant some trees that we as business leaders policy makers philanthropic community educators are here on this island to make a difference for the next generation and that's very motivating to me that's not hard that's just uh, a blessing
0: well you know you hear about talking about the next generation and a lot of people you know wouldn't think of a utility company as, as necessarily caring about that mm-hmm. but uh, you take a look at the steps that consumers is taking the DTE energy is taking in terms of uh, you know backing off carbon emissions yeah. trying to reduce this sort of stuff the pace of that change is accelerated i think a lot faster than even you guys expected a few years ago Talk about where CMS is in terms and consumers is in terms of reducing your carbon footprint, yeah. getting off of coal, uh, and converting to, to alternative uh,
2: means of, of generating electricity. You know, first and foremost, we believe climate change is happening, and as a result, we've taken oh, actions. Okay. How come the private
0: sector can admit this, and, the, and, and frankly, the government is unwilling to in many cases?
2: You know, I think uh, my own personal experience. Uh, why is this political? I don't know why it's political, but I think there was an era where people actually uh, didn't have the right science to look at and compare, and so people drew conclusions. It takes a lot to actually do your homework and understand what is the current science, and we did a lot of homework on this, and it changed my mind. You know, I used to have a bumper sticker on my car that said, I heart coal. (laughs) I learned how to generate electricity at five coal plants, but we've closed seven of our 12 coal plants already at Consumers Energy. That reduced our carbon emissions by 38%. We've uh, initiated the dates for the remaining closures. We're going to be a decade ahead of the Paris Climate Accord. We're going to be a decade ahead of the recommended science community. Um, we don't, we're not waiting for policy or regulation or laws to tell us what to do. We can serve people, the planet, and Michigan's prosperity by committing to a cleaner energy future. But again, the
0: economics of this have been changing so quickly as well, though. I mean, that makes the decision a little bit easier if, if this technology is getting cheaper all the time. Yeah, and the I mean, do- natural gas is a lot cleaner than coal, obviously. That's, uh, Jerry Anderson from DTE was on earlier. He called that a gap fuel, frankly. He seems to think of, of of natural gas as something that we're going to utilize until we have the renewables that we need.
2: Uh, do you agree? Is that something that we're going to see? I think there's two things that are lost in that part of the conversation. One. Our 20-year energy plan that we just uh, signed a massive settlement with the Sierra Club and our largest business leaders shows we're actually only adding new renewable energy. We're going to add 6,000 megawatts of solar to replace our remaining coal plants. And that's because they're modular. You don't have to take a big bet on a big gas plant to be able to match supply and demand. But the other part of the equation that I think has been undercommunicated is the need to reduce our peak usage. Michigan's peak usage of electricity happens a couple hours a year when everybody's air conditioning is cranked up. Because we have moderate temperatures generally mm-hmm. in Michigan, we have to oversize the entire system. In fact, double the size of the system for those couple hours a year. We have a strong belief that the cheapest and cleanest kilowatt is the one you never use. And so we are really spending a lot of time on, a, on programs called demand-response and using AI and machine learning, uh, smart communicating thermostats, and smart meters to enable a flatter load curve. It's a little wonky, and I'm sure your (laughs) listeners are geeking out a little bit with me, but the reality is if we can shave that peak... We can reduce the size of the whole system, and then adding modular renewable energy matches perfectly with our Luddington pump storage facility right up here in northern Michigan oh you know I, there
0: utility companies in, over the years have, have incentivized people to upgrade appliances, for instance, you know, but giving some sort of credits for for energy efficient appliances. Smart thermostats like nests and things like that are going to be a game changer in, in, in allowing you to do that. Uh,
2: Game changer. Is
0: that the kind of thing that you could could incentivize? Would it make economic sense for you to do so? We
2: already do uh, incentivize them, but we need to take it to the next level and work with customers to optimize their usage. It's so cool, the opportunity that with smart technologies that we can... Uh, cool your house a little bit before the peak and your neighbors a little bit offset from you. And imagine 1.8 million data points that are optimized so you never have the peak, even though everyone's house is the perfect temperature. This was not possible before, and it is now. So when we start with that, then we have to build less stuff. Natural gas and coal become less and less relevant. We're going to go to zero coal. Our natural gas part of our portfolio is reducing, not growing, because modular renewables combined with Ludington pump storage and demand response is the cleanest, most efficient, we call it our clean and lean energy future for Michigan.
0: Well, last question for you because I know you've got a busy schedule, but I do want to talk about some news that you guys made. Charging infrastructure for vehicles. Uh, We are moving uh, towards autonomous and electric vehicles. Making sure that we've got places to charge them is going to be a big deal. Talk a bit about that.
2: Well, uh, about 61% of Michiganders have said they're interested in electric vehicle. But one of the reasons they don't follow through and buy one is because of range anxiety. So we need to make sure that's when people are afraid they can't yeah, get where absolutely. they need to get. So when we need to make sure that we've got the right charging infrastructure in place. And so we announced yesterday we had a big press event. Lots of attention. GM and Ford were with us. The Michigan Public Service Commission. We a- agreed to put in rebates, much like those energy efficiency rebates, to help people get the charging infrastructure. So at a home, for example, uh, a four dollars to $500 rebate can actually pay for the charger itself. There might be additional expense in getting mm-hmm. your wiring, you know, properly aligned with a licensed electrician, but the uh, rebate will pay for the charger. And then people most likely will charge at home, but we're also incentivizing high-speed chargers on Michigan's road trip alleys, mm-hmm. when I drove from Jackson up to Mackinac City between... Lansing and Mackinac cities, 229 miles, no chargers. I drive an electric car. That causes me range anxiety. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we're putting in and incentivizing people to put in D.C. fast chargers across the state in all the critical locations so that people can take any road trip they want, enjoy the beauty and splendor of uh, pure Michigan, and do that in an emission-free vehicle, and then ultimately that emission-free vehicle fueled by emission-free power. You well, you know, you get, and it's one of those kinds of things that sends a message
0: about what Michigan gets priorities are. Amen. Right. We well, can do it. Patty, I know you've got to go. Patty Poppy, we certainly appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations on the conference. It's been Thank a, a you. ton of news. There's still a lot to go.
2: There sure um, are.
0: And uh, some heavy hitters still coming up. So awesome. We Thanks it. so much. Pleasure to talk to you. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Okay, Thank
2: you very great much. job. Nice interview.
0: The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And
2: I've been here my whole life.
0: So we started a podcast together. It's called The d Brief.
2: Detroit's Arts and Entertainment Podcast. We
0: cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All
2: the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast?
1: Hey, this is Mark Anchick, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press.
2: Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley
0: of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey,
2: this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is
0: Meltdown from WRIF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Her- Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager
2: of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan
0: Science Center. Arts Beats. Detroit Public Theater. Shakespeare
2: the Detroit, the Detroit.
0: If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast.
2: The Debrief Podcast.
0: We like to say Detroit's moving.
2: Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment
1: scene.